programmatic. The third party cookies. But understand moments and emotions of those users. Shopping each other to be our best. Favor the AVOD services. To increase transparency. And maintain the audiences that they've worked so hard to create. Episode six, we made it. I can't quite believe it, the last episode of the season. Yep, and season is right, because if you like, review and subscribe, who knows, we might get a season two. Yes, we are absolutely manifesting a new season. So, welcome to The Programmatic Life, the podcast that meets the talent behind the ad tech. My name's Amina, I'm the Director of Solutions Consulting at Xander. And I'm Karin, Head of Advertiser Partnerships. So Amina, what's been going on? So I went to see Coldplay the other weekend. Um, I know you're not a fan, but go with this. Um, so they promised that they would never tour again until they found a way to um, offset the carbon within their tours. Um, so I turned up and there were trampolines everywhere for people to jump on to sort of power something. I don't know what that something was. There were bikes for people to jump on, again, powering stuff. And I think um, they had a few videos at the beginning uh, really talking about what they were going to do, whether it was building trees or or the stuff that they were going to do to really make this tour sustainable. And I thought it was like the first time I'd seen sustainability in, in you know, a wider setting. And it was really interesting. Yeah, I've always thought listening to Coldplay was hard work in itself. But uh, but having to do actual exercise. It was really good, I'll have you know. But yeah, I mean, it sounds really cool. It's a cool concept. And, and I was in, uh, I was actually in Denmark pretty recently. And I was talking about sustainability. And what was clear is that it's really hitting home with people. Like I thought a lot of the, the stuff that I was saying, people kind of think, it's it's nice to know, but but they kind of gloss over it. Whereas, been asked for a lot of kind of follow up on it. The people found the statistics really surprising and interesting. And um, so, from a from an advertising context, like the whole sustainability piece is just so hard hitting at the moment. So, leads us nicely on to to today, really, doesn't it? Absolutely, Harvin Gupta. For those who might know him, he is now the head of commercial partnerships at Scope Three, um, and Scope Three are really doing some amazing stuff in this space. So, let's hear from him. Welcome. Welcome it's I've, like being in the office again i know it feels like i've come home that's it yeah have you been uh, i've been good yeah i've been very very busy but it's been an exciting time sustainability is a concept mm. we've had an episode where someone had to describe programmatic in 60 seconds sustainability it's a term that everyone's heard of but if you were to explain it at a very plain level, what does sustainability mean to you? Yeah, so to me, it's focusing on building an environment that is here for the long term. So we all live on, in the same environment. We all share the same sky. We all breathe the same air. We all have the same weather. And if we're not sustainable, all of these things are going to start to fall apart around us. And we can see that happening today and we can see the negative consequences of that. So for me, sustainability is when you're making decisions, when you're deciding how to structure your business or whether you're going to take that flight, whatever that decision is, you need to think about what impact is this going to have on the environment? What impact is this going to have on carbon emissions? And is it going to create a world that I want my children to live in? And I think that's a a key way to think about it. Yeah, it's interesting because obviously just to to sustain is just to keep going essentially, isn't yeah. it? And and that's as a society, that's what we want to do. After we're gone, we need to yeah. create stuff that's here, yeah. you know, for the long term. So we'll get into kind of how advertising is yeah. impacting that and obviously yeah. some of the work you're doing, but it's cool to hear at macro level what, what it, it means to you. I often think about this. So, you know, we, we, we think about the, the end of the world. And what's interesting is the world won't end. The world will continue going. Humans will end. Right. If we if we mess this up, 
right? We're the ones that are going to end, but the the planet still survives. It still continues going. So I think that's kind of a a different slant on it. Do you know? Yeah. I mean? yeah that Maybe took we a just turn. don't go with that morbid. <laughs> just cut all the bit about humans dying and being extinct. There's a lot of interest in uh, in what you guys are doing at Scope Three, so must keep you uh, keep you on your toes. Yeah, and you know I've been very active on LinkedIn. I've been really trying to spread the message of what we're doing, um, but also trying to educate people because I've learned so much since I joined, and I feel a big part of my role is trying to get that information out there because sustainability is a new topic for advertising. You know, it's not not something we've spoken about before. So as I try and learn things, I try and pass that that yeah. knowledge on. So hopefully, I can do a bit of that today as well. Well, yeah, I think like so when I was at in Denmark and we I think the the most hard hitting slide was the impact of the advertising industry compared to flights there's yeah. a there was a, a far too complicated equation around <laughs> an advertising campaign equating to a number of flights between like London and New York or something like that mm. so one I think that was so impactful because people don't realize how big a contributor to to kind of carbon emissions advertising is because it's not obvious right sure and I was the same so Anne Coughlin, who's an old friend of mine and one of the co-founders at, at Scope 3, rang me up and said, you know, do you, want a, do you want a job? This is what we're doing. And I was like, mm, is this really a problem? Do we, do we have a sustainability problem in advertising? Because you don't see the emissions. If you think about print, you can kind of see these, these vans delivering newspapers and you can see the, the paper being put in the bin when you're finished. So the, kind of the, the, the impact on the environment is obvious. When you think about digital advertising, you don't see any of the emissions. And I think another thing that's a problem I was thinking about this the other day, this idea of a cloud, right? So, you know, we talk about the cloud a lot and, and a cloud is this kind of, you know, ethereal kind of thing. But actually, when we talk about clouds, we're talking about just huge data centers, you know, massive, massive data centers. And often these data centers consume as much electricity as a small town or a large town or a small city. So I think that, that's part of the problem as well, that we don't, we don't think about just how much technology goes into serving an ad. And it's, it's actually, like you said, a, a huge problem. You know, we can quantify it. I think the stat you were looking for there is a, a million ads is the same as a return flight from London to Boston. And a million ads in our world is nothing. I'm curious, why do you think this is a problem for now? Why do you think we haven't managed to solve this up until now? I was just in, in Germany. And the reality is that they're running out of electricity in Germany, right? So they're starting to public buildings, they're turning the, the temperature down or turning the aircon down and um, loads of other things that they're doing to, to save electricity. And I realised, wow, our, our industry is really using more than our fair share of, of electricity. I, I read this thing that actually we can't build new houses in London or they're starting to think about not building new houses in London. Well, we're having a housing crisis because there's not enough electricity because the data centres are using up all the electricity. And then you think about just how much electricity and power we use in this process, that should be quite simple of just serving an ad. And you realise that actually this, this starts to feel incredibly unfair on, on, for a lot of different reasons. Yeah, I think it's quite interesting how you've sort of linked what you do in your day-to-day job with issues that we see in the world today. So obviously when I worked at, at AppNext and Sandra as a, a consultant for a long time, so I was talking to publishers and advertisers about what their tech stack should look like. And I don't think once in the nearly 10 years that I was at AppNexus did we stop to think about what's the carbon implications of what we're designing here. So if we're about to make a decision, you know, if we're going to add more tech to my page, I'm going to turn on, you know, more technology, add more SSPs, which DSPs am I going to work with? All of the conversations that we have on a regular basis, we never, ever stop to think about carbon. And because of that, I think we've ended up with a system that's 
horrifically inefficient. It makes sense on some levels, but as soon as you start to factor in the the environment and electricity usage, it really doesn't make sense what we've come up with. And society's changing, right? Um, I think you could say the same thing for all industries. You know, carbon wasn't a big factor. And now we're, you know, COP was such a big success and there's so much happening. But also, just look around, you know, like this this summer it was 40 degrees in London. That's never happened in my lifetime. If you look at what's happening in Pakistan, you've got, you know, I don't know how many people have lost their homes there because of flooding. But then in the Horn of Africa, you've got drought. And you've got the energy crisis in Europe. So I think this is why we have to be talking about this now. Especially in our industry, right? Advertising, we have a direct interface with the consumer. So societal trends often dictate, you know, how we're thinking about things. And I think now consumers are so privy and making, you know, purposeful decisions about who they buy from, who they work with because of the CSR elements, as opposed to what used to be, you know, back page of a a company strategy that now needs to come to the forefront, right? Because if, you know, if we get to a point where advertisers in their messaging are talking about how carbon efficient they are, but the actual method of getting that message out there is horrendously inefficient, there's a disconnect there, right? And if it's insincere or not genuine, Mm. consumers are now so privy that they'll just see straight through that. And that's an issue. It's really true. And we've seen examples of that as well, where brands have been called out for for essentially this this term greenwashing has become very prevalent. And actually, I've worked with a lot of brands and they don't, I think they are struggling a little bit to think through how to navigate greenwashing. So in my opinion, there's two different types of, of brands. You've got some that are doing what I think is is genuine greenwashing. So you know, if you're a an, an oil company that's still digging, you know, huge oil wells, but you're saying, look over here, look over here, look, we've we've got a solar farm. So don't look at our oil wells, just look over here at our our solar farms. To me, that feels a lot like greenwashing. But then you can take the same company and you can say, look, we understand that we need to continue to um, to dig for oil, or but we're gonna dramatically reduce our dependency on oil and start to massively increase renewables. So we're on a journey and we know we're at the start of that journey, but we're going to go on that journey quickly. To me, that's not greenwashing. So we like this idea of this word green working as opposed to greenwashing. So greenwashing is when you're doing something very, very small in the green space and using that as a distraction from all of the sort of not green stuff that you're doing. And that should be contrasted with green working where you're a brand that understands that this is a journey and there are a lot of different steps that you have to do you have to clean up your entire supply chain and you're started doing that in earnest and you're not perfect but you are doing it for the right reasons and and you know actually accelerating on that journey and i think brands need to find a way of navigating this but consumers also need to be understanding that it's it's not actually that easy as well um and to give brands the they're kind of understanding that they're doing the right thing. If you are a brand that is green working, as, you, mm. as you've said, um, there's obviously a timescale to, to when you need to do these things by. Um, so how do you sort of explain that to consumers? Because if I think about myself as a consumer, there's only so much recycling I can do. Yeah. There's, you know, there's a limit to what I can do as an individual. Yeah. Um, how do brands sort of navigate these like timescales that they essentially need to work with? So the the main timescale that I see again and again is 2030. So a lot of the large brands that you know we know and, and buy every day have made climate commitments to be carbon neutral by 2030. Now, what's interesting about that pledge is normally it's not just 
when we say carbon neutral, we're just not going to have you know plastic bottles in our fridges and in the office. It's actually looking up and down the supply chain as well. So it's looking at who are they, what are they buying, and what are they selling. Who are they buying from, and who are they selling it to, and making sure that entire supply chain end to end is carbon neutral. And the commitments has been twenty thirty. So I think that's the sort of time frame that that makes sense. Just one thing I wanted to say. Actually, we've talked a lot about consumers, but the the, the conversation is much larger than that because a lot of brands that we talk to, they say, look, we need to we need to be doing the right thing by our consumers. But actually, um, sustainability has become a retention and recruitment topic as well. So, and, and especially amongst younger people. So, you know, if you're a brand and you're, you want to recruit well and you want to hold on to the, the talent that you've got, showing that you're green working and showing all the things that you're doing to go on this journey to, to become carbon neutral, it's a really powerful tool um, to hold on to staff and to create um, you know, new consumers. But then also... Um, a lot of the brands I talk to, they're getting pressure from top down, so from the board, and they, they need to report back to the board about what they're doing. And then finally, there's regulators as well. So we're seeing more and more regulation come in. So it's it's a really multifaceted thing. It's not just about looking at consumers. It's about looking at the entire business. And actually, sustainability can have positive impacts in lots of different areas in the business. There's doing the right thing and your corporate social responsibility and doing the right thing at a macro level. Hmm. But also, as you say, that pressure from the board is in my view, it's going to be part of that, but it's also going to be part, you know, down to actually how do you create a sustainable, you know, revenue pipe where, you know, because if consumers are looking that way, recruiting is made more difficult by not acting in certain ways and all those elements come together, it makes you really hard to operate as a business just just from a, a pure, you know, kind of business continuity and revenue perspective, right? For sure. And one of the key things at Scope 3 when we think about, you know, how are we going to tackle this problem we need to create an environment where green business is good business. You know, if, if we just talk about green as a cost, you know, be green and, and it's just going to cost you a ton of money, it's going to be really hard to implement that kind of for altruistic reasons, let's say. I think everyone wants to do it for altruistic reasons, but at the end of the day, we're businesses, so profit is important. I like the saying, it's people, planet, and profit. So I think we need to, when we're designing solutions, we need to make sure we're tackling all three of those things, including profit. So how can we create an environment and an ecosystem where green is rewarded? We've seen the societal shift, right? And that and that's kind of helping you help others take action and, and that kind of thing. But do you see this as a, a, a trend or is this something that's just here to stay longer term? Like, does it? How does this play out in the next kind of mm. one year, three year, five years? So I know this is a an industry full of trends and buzzwords mm-hmm. that often have a very short shelf life, and often we have a short attention span, and we move on to the next big thing. If sustainability ends up like that, then we've we've failed at scope three, but I think also as an industry we failed. So where we want to get to, I think, is when sustainability stops being a buzzword, it should start being a hygiene metric. So in the same way viewability today is a hygiene metric or brand safety is a, you know, viewability is not a buzzword anymore. It was, but now it's a standard hygiene metric that we think through when we're structuring our campaigns or reporting our campaigns. Sustainability needs to be the same. So, you know, I'm not, I don't mind if we, if it stops being the, the things that we come and talk to about podcasts because it's become the standard way of working. 
and we've become sustainable by design and we've designed an ecosystem that's sustainable. So it's not an interesting topic to talk about anymore. That to me is what success looks like, actually. That makes sense. How do you think you get there, though? Because mm. if you think about viewability, if you think about those types of topics, it took us quite a long time for, for that to really become the norm. Yeah. Um, you know, we've had a few podcasts here and we've talked about things like diversity and that still feels it's a hugely important topic, but it still sometimes feels like a fad depending on where you sit. For sure. Sustainability for me is just as important. Like, how do we push that forward? Yeah. So for me, there's a, there's a couple of things. I think we have to start with data. And going back to my earlier comment about how when we were designing and consulting with publishers or, or advertising designing their tech stacks, we never talked about carbon. Well, I think one of the reasons we didn't talk about carbon was we didn't have the language. Mm-hmm. We didn't have the data. We didn't have a way of measuring or a way of having these sensible conversations with each other. So the first thing we want to do at Scope 3 is to give the industry that language and that currency. So when Curran's talking about carbon emissions and when Amina is talking about carbon emissions and anyone else is talking about carbon emissions, we're all talking about the same thing. We're all talking about measuring because there's lots of different ways of measuring. What do you measure? Um, do you measure the the carbon emissions from my phone where I load the ad and, and, and view it on my phone? Does that, does that count? What about the carbon emissions that went into making my phone? Do you include those? So there's so many different questions that we need to solve because if we don't solve those questions, we can't have sensible conversations because we'll be talking past each other. Um, so the first thing is is data um, and standardization and methodology. So that's really important to us. So we're kind of trying to open source as much as we can about what our methodology looks like. And we're trying to educate the market into, so we can have these sensible conversations. That's a really interesting point. You mentioned this need for a currency. And it's the reason I find it interesting is being in this industry, one word can mean so many different things depending on where you sit. Exactly. So how do you make sure that publishers, agencies are speaking the same language? Without any three-letter acronyms, because we've had enough of <laughs> those Absolutely. In I promise, I promise no three-letter acronyms. Um, so that's my role. That's really what my day-to-day is. It's, it's going out there and talking to publishers, talking to advertisers, talking to consultants, talking to anyone that wants to talk to me um, to, to educate them on, on what we're doing and... You know, we've we've got strong opinions. So when we meet as a company, we spend a lot of time talking about this stuff as well and and thinking through the pros and cons. But a, a big thing of what we're trying to do is to learn in public. So this work hasn't been done before. No one sat down in this industry to figure out what the methodologies should look like. And we don't have all the answers. So I really like this idea of, of learning in public and admitting that we don't know everything and admitting that sometimes we are going to make mistakes Uh, And we're going to have to go back and course correct. But I think if we do this with honesty and and in public, um, it kind of almost it it strengthens what we're doing because it, you know, it it shows that while we won't get it right first time, we want to be really open about what we're doing and not pull the wall over anyone's eyes. And I think that really helps us get there and, and create that environment. And, and when you talk about kind of obviously spreading the message and spreading the word, right, and in your business and in ours and in other businesses, you know, in order to to go and, and kind of, you know, do business, if you like, we have to go to places like you mentioned, you're in Germany, I assume you didn't walk there. Um, how, how as companies and employees, can we balance the need for being in front of people or some, some sort of, like you know, just regular industry practice yeah. with 
making ourselves sustainable and creating that kind of culture. Yeah, it's 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 really hard, and it's something I think about all the time. But you know, even wider than that, I think about you know when I was a when I was a bit younger, EasyJet used to do cheap flights. Do you remember those days when oh, you, yeah. could, you could get to most places in Europe for yeah. like eleven pounds? That's gone and now, I think. No, it's gone. But I, <laughs> I really made the most of that, and I think it's had a massive impact on 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 me now. You know, the, those experiences I had from from travel. Um, so there's that. There's the kind of you know the experiences you get from seeing other countries and other cultures. But then taking it to business, there's the looking someone in the eye and shaking their hand, and how that strengthens the relationships and how you can build relationships much quicker when you're in person. So I, I don't have a, you know, a really good yeah. answer for you. I don't, I don't think I can say, you know, th- this is how you stop business travel and this is how you avoid having to, yeah. to do business. Would it, would it not be just about, I guess for me, it would be about balance, right? Cause what we're not yeah. talking about here is, is never creating any emissions, right? So with advertising, or whatever, it's about offsetting it or cr- putting things in place where we can do the things we have to do cut back on the things that we might not need to do but then also offset make things sustainable and because i think if you if we get to a point where at a macro level if we if we're in a better place then the emissions we create become less potent in yeah i completely agree with that and for me one of the interesting things about advertising digital advertising is it's so inefficient and there's so much redundancy and there's so much wastage just in this process of you know, bid requests and bid responses and pre-bid and, and all of that world. There's so much scope there for optimization. There's so much low-hanging fruit there that, for me, that's where we should start to tackle the problem. Absolutely, we need to be cognizant of, of flights. We need to do that. We need to be cognizant about what we're doing in our offices, what our day-to-day looks like. All of that's super important. But the bit that interests me, because I think we can move quickly and we can have, you know, really significant results in a short time frame, is actually looking at the technical process that goes into serving an ad and, and optimizing there. Yes, yeah, so one of the things I I do think about is the events that we have in this industry, and some of them are you know, pretty over the top and have helicopters and yachts and flights to exotic places. And I think maybe that's something as an industry we should think about you know, yeah, I think changing and cutting back on. That's such a good point because we hear the term carbon offset by these big tech companies all the time. Mm. I have quite an issue with that because I agree. do we just offset that? Like yep. that feels very wrong. So I think, you know, we were talking about um, greenwashing. Yep. And for me, offsetting and greenwashing can go hand in hand. And it can be problematic. So the way I think about it is this. We need to aggressively decarbonize where possible and offset where we can't. So I think it's unreasonable to say that we can cut our carbon emissions to zero overnight. That's not going to happen, right? That's just unrealistic. But I think it is fair to say that we can rapidly decarbonize where we can and then offset or compensate where we can't. So that's the first thing I want to say on that topic. The second thing is not all offsets are created equal. So you can buy carbon offsets at $2 a metric ton. You can buy carbon offsets where basically a tree that exists today is not chopped down. Is that solving the climate crisis in any meaningful way? I don't really think so. To me, that feels a lot like greenwashing. The other thing you could do is buy carbon compensation at $100 per metric ton. And there, for me, that starts to feel more valuable, more impactful. Let's say you're going to take a flight and the cost to offset that flight was $5 or £5. 
fine, just check the box, pay your five pounds, take the flight, off you go. Did it impact your behavior in any way? No. And was the offset worthwhile? Probably not. What was if that offset was 80 pounds or 120 pounds? Yeah, the face you pulled exactly. It, it, it's going to start to impact your behavior. If you had to pay 120 pounds to offset, which is probably the closest to the true price to offset the emissions, I don't know, but let's say, you're going to start thinking twice about whether or not you should take that flight. And I think that's interesting. So if we can use you know, offsets as a way of almost pricing carbon and then making people pay that price for carbon, I think then it starts to impact behavior. Because ultimately what you want to do is reduce the amount of carbon emitted in the first place and then offset what you can't. And if you can make carbon expensive, then it can start to impact behavior. I had no idea that trees were being taken hostage for ransom. <laughs> that is something I, uh, I never I never thought about. But yeah, I agree. I think it needs to be a, a purposeful a purposeful choice yeah. rather than something that doesn't impact. Because if it doesn't impact behavior, then I guess, I guess there's a balance there, right? Because in a way, you don't want it to impact behavior and it should just be like something that everyone does because it's, you know, it doesn't hinder them to a, a massive degree. But at the same time, you want people to be purposeful in their actions. So there is a balance there, right, that, that needs to be struck, which I guess is the, yeah. the challenge. Big topics like, you know, diversity in our industry, there's there's a lot that as a junior member in the team you can now get involved in, right? Mm. So like the Media for All initiative and becoming a mentee and then working your way up to a mentor and then, and then bleeding that through your organization. That doesn't seem to exist within the sustainability space within our industry yet. Like how, how does a, someone who's kind of more, you know, just entering the industry, mm. how do they impact their industry in a meaningful way and, and kind of spread this message through? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. You know, I've been quite surprised that quite a few people have actually reached out to me from at various levels um, and just said, I've appointed myself as the sustainability champion in my company. I just took it upon myself and, and now that's what I'm doing. And some of them had more success than others. And, you know, and, and they've literally just said, let's, let's find ways of working together. And I've made quite a few contacts in that way. And actually, just by connecting different people, um, we've been able to drive change and we've been able to make a difference. So, you know, and I think it's, it's, it's possible to do that. You can just say, well, I'm going to be responsible for sustainability in this office. I'm going to make that part of my job. I'm going to add that to my OKRs. I bet you most managers would be excited by that rather than trying to mm-hmm. push that back. You know, so taking that on as a, a, a goal or something like that, I think is super interesting. Also, and I've not done this myself, but a lot of people I've spoken to have done a course at Cambridge that is uh, really, really well respected. And I think there's a few different variations of it. It's a sort of you know learning from home so you can do it um, on the side. And there they really go through some of the ways that you can impact sustainability and drive change within an organization. So that's something I've had at the back of my mind. I want to just be able to get a bit more settled in my role and have a bit more spare time, but I certainly want to do that. We're all going to need the name of that course. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm going to move things along a little bit. I have worked with you for too Too many years. Too long. Too many years. Um, And I've yet to find another person who can quite explain to me why they feel like the advertising part, career path mm. is a path that gives them value. Yeah. So I would love for you to explain to our listeners why you think advertising has purpose. Yeah, and I think purpose is really important for, for your role. It's, it, it helps you get out of bed. You know, It helps you bring your best self to work. So when I worked at Nexus and then Xander, I felt very strongly about protecting the open internet 
and I felt very strongly about protecting publishing, specifically news publishers. So if we think about our democracy that we live in, one of the checks and balances that we have is a free and fair press. And you know, we have, there's hundreds of examples where the media that we have has held our politicians to account. The one that that springs to mind instantly is the MPs' expenses scandal. You know, huge, huge scandal that was unearthed by the media, and it worries me that actually publishing businesses are under threat. And you know, there was a, a spate of publishers a couple of years ago that all went out of business. It worries me that there's so much money in our industry. But it doesn't always make it through to the publishers who have really high costs. And if you're sending journalists to Ukraine to report on what's going on there to bring back the truth to us, that's not cheap. That's that's expensive. So I felt that you know, how do we keep the media free? Well, the answer is through advertising. You know, if we if I had to pay for every single newspaper that I read, if I had to pay a subscription, I wouldn't be able to have the level of and depth of knowledge that I have today, and I won't be able to keep up to, you know, keep up with affairs in the way that I do. I don't want to see a world where only rich people who can afford subscriptions have access to media and, and to, to newspapers. Um, and I think the way we do that is through advertising. And I think what we need to do is find a way. And, and I really felt this very strongly at, at Nexus and Zander is to find a way of funneling all of the money that, or a lot of the money that's in this industry, making sure it makes it through to the publisher, who's obviously the one creating all the value in this industry. So that was a, a key purpose that I felt when I was uh, at Nexus and Zander. Now I feel, you know, Scope 3 is a really mission-driven company. Everything we do, every conversation we have starts with our mission. It's a very, you know, it acts as a North Star. So, you know, we're like, should we, should we do it this way or this way? Well, which path is going to make us hit our mission quicker? Um, and that, I find that really exciting. You know, it's a really cool environment to be in. We're a very small group of people that are very motivated to hit this goal. And that makes going to work a really exciting thing to do. Yeah. Is that how you think you've built your personal brand? You've found that mission and you've aligned to it or is there more to it? No, I think that's that's very true. Yeah. Um, and I think companies, I think companies that have a strong mission and they're able to communicate that mission to their employees. I think that's how you build a very strong company. Otherwise, you have a lot of people that sort of turn up, do their day job, and go home. Yeah, you know, I don't think you've heard about this quiet quitting idea. Yeah, it's everywhere right now. Yeah, but but if you're super motivated by your purpose and your mission, then you're not going to quiet quit because you're actually you're not just showing up to get your paycheck and leaving at the end of the day. Wait, what's quiet quitting? I've not heard of this one, so this is this is new to me. I'm going to let Harvin explain it because. <laughs> I have a different angle on it. Okay. So so for me it's this idea of you're not you're not quitting your job. So you you're still turning up to work every day. But you basically do the bare minimum yeah, okay, to avoid getting fired. <clears throat> got you. And you know you go home at at 5:30 on the dot and and that's it so it's, and you know there's different there's different ways of looking at it. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's different ways of looking at it because I don't necessarily think going home at five o'clock on the dot is a bad thing, mm. but it's exactly. sort of not believing in what you're doing anymore. And I think yeah. if you don't have that in your career, you yeah. spend so much time at work. You should you should sort yeah, of believe yeah. in what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it yeah. goes back down to purpose, right? So if you have purpose, you're always going to challenge yourself to do stuff on behalf of what you're working towards, right? Which sure. is which is key. <laughs> 
so we're playing Room 101 or AdTech Room 101, which will give you 60 seconds to consign something you don't like about the uh, the industry to Room 101 and essentially bin it forever. So 60 seconds, the floor is yours. Oh, okay. So I've moved into essentially a commercial role. I, I was before I was a solutions engineer, so I never knew this happened. But there's a process called redlining, and it involves lawyers. and And essentially, so if I if I work with a customer and they're like, right, I love what you're doing. I want to I want to to join Scope Three. I want to sign up and and be a part of what you're doing. We then have this backwards and forwards process where I send them the MSA and the, the contract. They give it to their legal team. Their legal team finds things that I have no idea what they're saying and there's all these complicated phrases and they come back and what, what does this mean and i've got to take it to my legal team and then my legal team come up with a whole response that i don't understand and then i send it back and i find i'm just paying piggy in the middle between these two legal teams having what feels to me and i'm sure there's a lot of valid reasons and, and i'm being completely you know immature here but it feels like a complete waste of time to me and <laughs> like i don't understand why we can't just have templated contracts that as you know the world is all agreed to and we just use these same and then there's uh, rather than this constant backwards and forwards because for me it feels like a a horrific waste of time and it feels like just lawyers creating this this thing for themselves and i know i'm wrong and i know it's super super lawyers are great (laughs) lawyers are great (laughs) but i spend so much time stuck in what i call red line hell that if i could i would love to take red lines and put them in room 101 well i think i mean you you're uh, when you work with me, you never saw that side. No, of I know, the, I know. The world, so <laughs> I'm very well, well versed in this, and I, I'm happy for it to go into room 101. It's it is an interesting thing, but it's quite w- funny. I've been looking at you two, thinking back in the days, Redline Hell would have gone from Harvin to Curran. <laughs> pretty much, and I think uh, we're all stuck in it. So I think it's a necessary evil. Of course, like. I, I get it, I and get I, it's it. all down um, to interpretation. But um, but I would love to put redlining down to into room 101 because if it could go away and lawyers just agreed on stuff, yeah. Including signing off this podcast, please. (laughs) Again, adding that lawyers are great. Lawyers are great. great. Um, But we will put redlining into room 101. I do have to say, so, you know, for people listening, I used to work with Curran quite a lot and he was the salesperson and I was the solutions engineer. You don't realise all the stuff that salespeople are doing behind the scenes. Oh, you've learned that, have you? There's a lot going on. Make sure that stays in the podcast. (laughs) And suddenly I have to do all this stuff. I'm like, oh my God. (laughs) Oh, that's my favourite part of the podcast. So um, we're going to wrap up on that note because I don't want to hear any more. Harvin, it's been brilliant to have you you back with us. Um, Thank you very much for uh, for coming on. Pleasure to be here. I've enjoyed it, ladies. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Amina. And that is a wrap. Well, that was a throwback to have Harvin, Harvin back in the room. Honestly, it felt like being back in the office again. Yeah. And what, what did you think of the, uh, I, s- I suppose, the discussion and the, the themes there? I think they are, they at Scope 3 are really doing some interesting things. I think speaking to Harvin, I've really seen how his thoughts and his energy around sustainability has evolved. And I think he spoke about learning, learning in public that's definitely something that we can take away. Yeah, it's been a theme throughout the series, actually, that concept of learning. And I think what I've liked about the series so far and all the guests we've have on, had on has been how willing they've been able to share their insight, how they've built careers, what they care about, like what they don't care about in uh, in Room 101. I think it's been, it's been fascinating. But what was your... If you were to pinpoint one thing in our series, now we're at the wrap-up, that you thought was the most interesting bit and I know it's hard to pin yeah. down what would you what would you go with so I'm quite an analytical person so I'm going to take it back to Paul 
So Paul gave a tip and he said, if you're trying to learn something, write about it. Write about it as if you're, you know, writing an article. Um, that's something I'd always tried to do, but I think I'm definitely going to do it a bit more because the industry is constantly evolving. New things are coming up and we need to learn and keep up. So that's definitely something I'm going to be doing. Yes. How about you? So uh, I think, so that was Paul Gubbins, episode four, Paul Gubbins, Jargon Armageddon. Um, the one that I probably found, I found all of them super interesting. I love the chat with Lauren. I thought that was like, that, that was, was great. Real, real fun. I really enjoyed Ross Sargent's episode at Sahi. I think that's episode two. Um, and he talked around like advertising at, at very, at its core around the creative and ads people liked and what hit home with him, what got him in the industry, but also the people who inspired him, which I think, you know, the key thing about the industry and the reason we put this one together was about putting our friends from the industry in the room, putting a spotlight on them because it's inspiring. And I think, you know, for for me to listen to who inspired him and why, I thought that was that was really cool and probably my highlight of the series, uh, series so far. Yeah, it's shame to be wrapping up the series but it's been a great one i think um for our listeners out there if you want to see another one we want to make another one please do like subscribe and share from both of us thank Thank you very much for listening to the programmatic life